The death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg on Friday, September the 18th, has left a gaping hole in the United States Supreme Court and opened up an even wider chasm in the landscape of electoral politics in the country less than two months before the most contested presidential election since World War II. It's often said that SCOTUS, the Supreme Court, stands above politics, that partisan debates in Congress and the country are not its business. But in this case, the death of the liberal leader of the court has opened up a political battle royal. Ginsburg herself would never have acknowledged her position as a leader on the left. But since her nomination by President Bill Clinton in 1993, the country and the court have moved so far to the right on key issues such as women's rights, abortion rights, LGBTQ right issues, labor and voting rights, that uh, this has left her and those who support her opinions firmly on the progressive wing. Despite that rightward shift, some would say reactionary, the world has changed for the better since she graduated first in her class from Cornell University back in 1963. Nonetheless, she could not find a clerkship at the Supreme Court in those days, the days of the very liberal Warren Court, by the way, nor even at some of the most prestigious law firms in Manhattan. White men alone were deemed qualified for that work. At Cornell, she met her husband, Martin, who died in 2010, and she followed him to Harvard eventually. Harvard Law was elected to the Harvard Law Review. She later became lead counsel for the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU. In this position, she pleaded a number of cases before the Supreme Court, mostly in the area of women's rights, and won, I think it was four out of the five that she actually represented. In 1980, President Carter named her to the U.S. Court of Appeals in the District of Columbia. This is second only to the Supreme Court in the land. And Ronald Reagan had nominated Sandra Day O'Connell to the High Court, and Ginsburg then became the second uh, female Associate Justice, and has been joined in these last years by two other women, all both on the liberal side of the bench, Justices Sonia Sotomayor and Eleanor Kagan. Her name is associated with major judgments to leave their mark on American legal history, and her dissenting opinions carry weight even when she herself ended up on the losing side. In 1996, she wrote the decision that opened the doors of the Virginia Military Institute to women, thus allowing women major inroads into the ranks of the US military. When the Roberts Court rolled back the pre-clearance provision of the 1964 Voting Rights Act in the case of Shelby County, Alabama, uh, on the grounds that the country had so far advanced in race relations, it was no longer needed, she wrote a stinging rebuke, stating that the judgment uh, would take the country back years, probably to the era of Jim Crow. She also wrote an equally strong dissent in the more recent uh, Hobby Lobby case, a 5-4 conservative majority in that case, which permits a company run by Christian fundamentalists not to pay for birth control supplies for their employees. Her dissent was based on the constitutional principle uh, of separation between church and state. She was also very strong on labor law in the case where an anti-union worker in a union plant objected to paying union dues while accepting the advantages of union demands over the years, she raised fundamental questions 
to this undermining of basic worker rights. And there is also the Ledbetter Act. The court turned down this appeal from a woman worker who gave her name to the case that she should earn the same wage as male colleagues doing the same job in the same workplace. The court did allow that case to go back to the Congress to finally decide, and both houses eventually did so in the early uh, years of the Obama presidency on the side of the worker making the claim. Justice Ginsburg's arguments regarding equal pay for women in the workplace did much to strengthen the arguments behind that case. Ginsburg was a fierce opponent of originalism, the doctrine that constitutional questions can only be resolved by strict adherence to the literal meaning of the language in the original constitutional draft. Ginsburg argued that the Constitution was a living, breathing document offering guidance to later generations as society evolved. We should remember that the framers lived, of course, in an age of slavery, and quite a few were notoriously slave owners themselves. Black people, and obviously women, did not have the vote in those days, and the women would have to wait till 1921. And uh, the Second Amendment only made sense before the New Republic could properly organize its army and a police force in its own defense. To Justice Ginberg, these facts were self-evident. She knew plenty of tragedy in her life. Her mother died as she graduated from high school. She lost an elder sister to spinal meningitis. Her husband died 10 years ago, and she has battled various forms of cancer over the past decade, often delivering her legal judgments from a hospital bed. She has shown great courage in her struggles with ill health, strengthened by an iron will and an unshakable commitment to the rule of law in the defense of truth and justice and the rights of the less privileged. The most determined champion of originalism was in fact the late Justice Antonin Scalia. And yet he and Justice Ginsburg, so different in many ways, formed a warm and lasting friendship cemented by their mutual love of opera. So great music melted away temporarily, at least their ideological differences. Her last words dictated to her granddaughter testify to her commitment. I fervently hope that I will not be replaced until the next president is installed. President Trump and Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell have dismissed that appeal out of hand. The president can hardly wait to nominate an extreme conservative, probably a woman, as early as next week. There are less than 50 days to go before the election. And in 2016, McConnell, following the death of Scalia, refused to grant President Obama's candidate, Merrick Garland, a hearing with 10 months to go before the next election. This on the grounds that no appointment to the Supreme Court should take place or should be permitted during an election year. The leader of the Senate forgot to add that it depends who occupies the White House in those circumstances and who controls the Senate. We're unlikely to see a justice of the caliber of Justice Ginsburg for at least a generation. Those most likely to mourn her passing are women, members of the LGBTQ community, and all the most marginalized in our society. Other leaders will eventually rise to take her place. The struggle is endless to make the world a more equal place, less spoiled by privilege, racism, and inequality.
This is Harry Lawton for KCSB.